Matthew, thank you. Can I just uh, say um, on behalf, I think, of us all, uh, a big thank you to those who have had extra responsibilities while we've been away, uh, to Matthew and to Stanley, to our parish readers, to Colin, Johnson, and Stephen, to Johnny Rowe, who was preaching as well, and also to the uh, pastor. It's really good to see you, really good to be back with you, and uh, we've missed you. We've really enjoyed this sabbatical, which has been a time of refreshment and prayer and reflection and listening and learning and resting and drawing close to the Lord. And I just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your support and your prayers and your love and helping us to have this sabbatical. I'd really, really appreciate that. But it's really good to be back with you. We really missed you. I think uh, we really enjoyed going to different churches and we've seen and we've learned and we've really enjoyed that fellowship. But so often when we, each week that went past, it's not nostalgia, it's, it's, it's a, it was just this growing sense of Bangor Parish family is a special people and we're really, really glad to be back among you as God's people. So thank you very much for your support and your love and your prayers. We really, really appreciate it and it's great to see you. There's only 121 days to Christmas. <laughs> now, I don't tell you that for purposes of shopping. I didn't mention number of shopping days, that's probably a different number, but do you remember asking for what you want? I remember at about eight years old, and I've probably said this before, asking for a skateboard. And I remember on Christmas morning, my brother and sister and I outside the door of the lounge because uh, in our house, the lounge was locked in case any of us strayed in there during the night. And uh, it wasn't a high level of trust in our family. And uh, we eventually got into the door and there was this beautiful red skateboard. And I was just, wow. And then I was told to look beside the skateboard because there was a purple bike and the purple bike was mine too. And I was just speechless. I was absolutely overwhelmed. That question, what do you want, is right at the heart of our Bible reading this morning. Jesus is walking along, and he turns around to see two men literally following him, actually following in his footsteps. And he asks the question, which seems a very, very sensible question in the circumstances. What do you want? There's a few things we can learn, even from these verses. They, they respond, teacher, rabbi, where are you staying? It, it seems a seems a very simplistic question. It seems even a slightly strange question. It might be one of those <gasps> panic, what do I say in this circumstances question. But the lovely thing is that, well, there's three things. First thing is this. I suppose the first one's a bit of a safety announcement. And this. generally, if you find yourself walking along and find two men that you don't know walking behind you, and they say to you, where are you staying? Do not tell them. That's sort of a general rule. And don't under any circumstances say, come and you will see. The second thing and far more important than that is this. They ask this really simple question. Where, where are you staying? They may not even know what it is they're asking for and what they want. And Jesus listens patiently 
And he gives them this lovely, generous answer. Come, and you will see. It could be that the unnamed disciple, we know that one disciple is called Andrew, the other one is unnamed. It could be that John, the apostle, who's the gospel writer, has purposely left the name blank. He may well know exactly who it is. It may be himself, but he may have left the name blank so that we can put our name on the name of the unnamed disciple. So we can wonder what is it like to be in that moment where we just ask that very simple, even maybe slightly strange question, where are you staying? The discipleship journey so often begins with a question. And it doesn't often really matter what that question is. But Jesus responds generously and he says, come and you'll see. Because the response of Jesus is loving and generous and patient and it always includes an invitation to come closer. In a way, I suppose it's quite a good question because at the heart of the question is this, we want to be with you. We know that there's something about you. We want to spend time with you. We're not quite sure what we want, but where, where are you staying? How, how do we get to spend time with you? And the final thing is that just like asking for a skateboard and getting a skateboard and a bike, Andrew and the unnamed disciple discover that with the simple question, it it turns into discovery of a lifetime in which they find forgiveness and acceptance and love and purpose and joy and peace and eternal life. And it all starts with this simple question. The Lord loves us to come to him and just to ask. And as Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, he loves to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So often, it just begins with a simple request, a simple question. I, I think John the Apostle writer, if he is this unnamed disciple, is incredibly humble in, in writing down this just very simple question that they ask. And the reason why they'd come to that point was because John the Baptist, who they had been following, simply and again very humbly points away from himself and directs their attention towards Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice that John doesn't say, my days are coming to an end. Time to stop following me. That's the one you want to follow. He isn't prescriptive like that. He just simply says, behold the Lamb of God. But for those two men and for any Jews listening, that phrase, Lamb of God, was absolutely packed with meaning their minds immediately would have gone back to the Passover, the time when God brought his people out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, when he released them from the, the tyranny, the oppression of the Egyptians. Now, it could well be that these two disciples thought, well, this means this is, this is all about being released from the Romans, from, from this sort of oppression that we're having. But whenever John the Baptist says, this is the one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Really, we're, we're being pointed towards the very end of John's gospel. 
Because even though Andrew goes and gets his brother straight away after leaving Jesus and says, we've found the Messiah, we've found the Christ, and they may have thought, this is about delivery again for the people of Israel. This is about the one who'll deliver us from the Romans. The words of John the Baptist recorded by John the Apostle in his, in his gospel tell us right from the start, this is bigger than the people of Israel. And this is actually bigger than coming out of Egypt. This is about being released from slavery, which is darker and older and more pernicious than even the Egyptian empire. This is about freedom from sin. This is about freedom from the slavery of sin, of all the chaos and all the guilt and all the shame and all the pain and all the separation from God that comes with that. This is about being wiped clean. This is about freedom from slavery. They may not have realized all that. They, they, they probably just realized that this somehow was the man who was going to be used by God to deliver the people of Israel from their sin. This was the Passover lamb. As we go through John's gospel and we come towards the end of it, we read about Jesus being crucified on a hill outside Jerusalem. And he's being crucified at the same time that Jews would have known that the annual Passover feast was taking place. And as Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was being crucified, his blood was being spilt outside Jerusalem in the temple precincts, the male, unblemished lambs were being sacrificed in their hundreds and in their thousands. It had to be unblemished. It had to be a lamb. It had to be male. And there were thousands of them. And John, the gospel writer, is, is, is pointing us, even at the very start, in the words of John the Baptist, here is the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And not only that, John the Baptist has come and said, I baptize you in water. And initially, John, for years, John the Baptist didn't know whom he was preparing the way for. He knew that his role was to prepare the way for the Lord, that God himself was going to come among his people. But he didn't know what that looked like. He's an amazing man of faith. He just knew he had to do this ministry of being a prophet in the wilderness. And then amazingly, he discovered who it was, his own cousin, Jesus of Nazareth. He comes down, and, and, and John in his gospel doesn't record either the baptism of Jesus or, or the Last Supper. Because his whole gospel is sacramental. His whole gospel is about God in the midst of things that are physical and can be seen. And so we hear the words of Jesus, I am the bread of life. I am the new wine. I am the living water. John records all these things that describe the work of God physically. 
but have a deep spiritual reality. John's whole gospel is all about this, and so it's fitting that he records the fact that the moment John the Baptist realizes that his cousin is the one he's preparing the way for is whenever this rock dove that lives in the wilderness in those parts of the world comes down. We've sort of sanitized things slightly into a beautiful purcell white dove, but the, the rock dove that lives in the wilderness there for its own protection is the same color as the rocks. White doves don't live very long if they've got birds of prey around. This was a rock dove, the same color as the stones, very shy bird, would have stayed miles away from the hubbub of hundreds of people coming to be baptized in the wilderness. And yet, here is this very shy bird, hard even to see, hard even to discern. And what does it do? It flies into the midst of a crowd of human beings who are splashing around in the water, and it comes and settles on a man, Jesus of Nazareth. And so shocking and so unusual is this sight, John the Baptist knows this is the one. This is the one the Holy Spirit has come down like a dove and has physically rested on him, like a sacramental sign in the physical world, something that can be seen that's a deep spiritual reality. And John the Baptist, in his words, is telling us right from the start, I have plunged you in water. This one is going to plunge you in the presence of God, in the Holy Spirit. And so after the Lamb of God, the Agnes Dei, rises from the dead, Jesus appears in the upper room among his disciples, and he's breathed on them. Peace be with you. Receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive my Spirit. Because all of this this whole life and death and resurrection and ministry of Jesus is about us being plunged once again into the, into the presence of God. That this reconciliation happens, that we are plunged in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, receive my spirit. But all of that is only possible, John the apostle writer, the apostle, the writer is telling us, because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, like at the first exodus, whenever the blood of the Lamb was smeared on the door of the doorpost and the Israelites were told to stay inside, and as the Lord passed through the land to deliver his people from the so-called gods of Egypt, they were passed over. And every other firstborn animal and firstborn human being died that night except those who had the blood of the lamb smeared on the doorpost of their houses, and they were in behind it. That's what Passover is about. That's what Andrew and the unnamed disciple would have realized when John the Baptist said this. Here is how God is going to deliver his people. And his people is not just the people of Israel. His people is everybody. Jesus Christ is dying for everybody. I hope this morning that you, like me, have come to meet the Agnes Day, the Lamb of God who was slain for you, the unblemished one whose blood was spilt so that the temple, the temple of our human hearts could be cleansed. Why? 
Why go to all this bother? Why this sacrifice? So that the presence of our holy God could once again come to his temple, the temple of human hearts, and to dwell in his creation once again. So that Jesus Christ could breathe over us and say, receive the Holy Spirit. Enjoy the presence of God. As Dallas Willard, the, the late, wonderful American Christian pastor and writer said, so that we could be immersed once again in the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's what Christian discipleship is all about. There's a lady called Edith who felt really discontented with her life. This is a little story that appeared about a month ago in Our Daily Bread, a little daily devotional guide. And the writer tells about his, his friend, Edith, who decides to go to church even though she doesn't have much time for Christianity. But she feels terribly discontent in her life. And so she goes in not expecting much, half sort of bored, but immediately her attention is grasped as the, as the minister standing at the front leads reads the first few words or first few verses of Luke chapter 15 from the King James Version of the Bible. And what it says there is this, that as the publicans and sinners drew near to Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes were murmuring, this man eats with, this one welcomes sinners and eateth with them. But what Edith heard was this, this man welcomes sinners and eateth with them. And in that moment, she was, her attention was grasped. It was a moment before she realized what she'd actually heard. But it started something in her life where she began to draw close to God. She went home that day and began to read the Gospels. And in time, very soon, she, she put her trust in Jesus Christ as the one who had died for her and was risen from the dead and alive and who had encountered her in that church and had called her. So here's the thing. As we gather today or any time when we come with that sort of question and Jesus says, what do you want? And, uh, and we give some sort of answer. The reality is we find not so much that we've been looking for him, we find that he's been looking for us. And in that we discover forgiveness and acceptance and love and also a, a call in our lives, purpose for our lives. You know, one, of the, one of the major parts, when I was about 14, whenever I came to faith in Jesus Christ, was because I had this terrible discontent that I had no purpose to my life. I d looking back, I didn't even necessarily even realize that or even understand that. Life for me was, in so many ways, was great. I had a loving family. Um, my mom and dad gave us everything we ever needed. Um, they loved us dearly. Everything was going really well. But there was something that I was crying out for. I didn't even know what it was. If Jesus had said to me, Nigel, what do you want? I wouldn't even have known what it was I would have asked for. But I came as I started to ask, I had no just simple questions. They may not even have been audible questions. It was just some sort of searching. 
I discovered the fact that God had a purpose for me, that God had a call on my life. Just like Simon became Peter and he discovered that, that Jesus had a, actually had a new name for him, that he had he wanted to give him a new identity, his true identity, his real identity, to show him what his destiny was. And to show that, he said, Simon, you're going to be called rock. It's a difficult calling. But you're key fast, the rock. Even before it even transpired what that looked like. Jesus Christ is looking for you. You may say, well, I, I, I met Jesus years ago, but Jesus is always looking for more of us. He's always looking and calling, and part of his call is always come. Come with me, come closer, come and you will see. So whether it's for the first time this morning for you, and you've realized afresh this morning, there's, there's a question inside me. I can't even articulate what that question is, but you know the answers with Jesus Christ. Just come to him as he says to you, what do you want? And just say, whatever comes on your heart. It may sound even a strange question on your lips. It may sound simple, but just ask it. Because if you do, then you'll you'll find that the questions keep coming and the answers keep coming. And with it, you'll discover eternal life, forgiveness, acceptance, love, joy, peace, and purpose. A call on your life, and you'll discover your true identity. The person whom God the Father created you to be before even you were born, before even the creation of the world. But all this is only possible in the presence of God. And Jesus Christ died for you to make that possible. Jesus Christ welcomes sinners and Nigel with them. Why don't you insert your name in that sentence quietly? Jesus Christ welcomes sinners and with them. Shall we stand? I'd love us 